Welcome back, guys. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. We're about to get into our Bible study. For those of you who want to get ahead of where we're going, head over to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to be looking at some passages over there. We should remind everybody to get the app. And we should also remind everybody that, hey, we had a bit of a Christmas uh, story about the Christmas star coming up, I think it's the 21st of 21st, December. Yeah. It's kind of cool it's coming in December. So cool. Uh, because other other times it's come in, you know, like June and so forth, but it's coming in December, which is, you know, it's going to point people to Jesus Christ. And, of course, next week we have Here's the One. Oh, yeah, starting the end. That's it? right. So this is the end.digital. We're going to have a three-part series on the prophecies of the Messiah, mm. and looking at you know exactly who Jesus was, what did he claim, and is there legitimacy to his claim? Is it is it something that you can, as a reasonable person, actually believe that Jesus, you know, was is, came to this earth as a human being, and he was actually the Son of God? Mm. And you know, even if you guys just want to share that with people, you know, share the links on so absolutely ho- ho- host a watch well. party. Yeah. Yeah. Host a watch party on, uh, on on Facebook and get the message out there. Mm, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I'm super excited about it. Uh, Justin, Sharissa and myself have put that together. Uh, we're going to be continuing to do uh, some more segments or installments of uh, The End. Digital. So we'd encourage you to, yeah, if you haven't checked it out already, head over there and check out the presentations that are already uh, there on The End. Digital. That's on, uh, you can find it on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, or online, just search for the end dot digital, and uh, you will find uh, all those episodes there. And of course, we will try and bring them to you right here on Faith FM Radio as well. Mm, yeah. All right, we should get into our Bible study. I am looking forward to this Bible study. We were talking about work this week. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about work. Let's go to Exodus chapter twenty-five and verse. Well, we're going to start in verse ten. Yeah. Sorry, man, having a big old yawn here. I'm just going to say a really quick word of prayer um, as we open up. Um, Lord God, I just thank you so much that we have the opportunity to freely read your Bible and share um, in this space on radio. Um, God, I just ask as we read that we don't just read just for knowledge's sake, but to draw closer to you. Um, Yeah, so be with us now and open our minds and hearts. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Amen. Amen. Exodus 25 verse 10 says, Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide and 27 inches high. How far am I reading, by the way? I just keep reading. Okay. Um, Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold all around it. Cast four rings and attach them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings, never remove them. When the ark is finished, place it inside uh, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then make the ark's cover the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the ends of the atonement cover. Keep going. Yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm enjoying it. Okay, verse 19. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the cov- uh, Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. 
Okay, so we can we can look at let's just stop there. We can stop there for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we could say, you know, God could have come to Moses and said, "Look, you know, um, I need a uh, tabernacle. I need a tent. I need a building." you know, a place of worship. Mm-hmm. And for Moses, that would be pretty easy for the last 40 years he's been pitching tents. He's like, yeah, sure, yeah. God, I will pitch you a tent. Uh-huh. Just uh, give me half hour or so and I'll have it done. Mm-hmm. This is something that they were used to doing on a very, very regular basis. But that's not actually what happens here, particularly when you look at, you know, the amount of detail that goes into this because God comes and God says, yeah, b- build me a tabernacle. Mm. And then he starts to go into incredible detail, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Especially. Okay, so whereabouts? First of all, whereabouts they're going to get the skill set to be able to put this together? I mean, this is this is going to be phenomenally detailed mm. um, furniture that is being built, building that is being built. They're working with precious metals. They are doing intricate carvings. Where are they going to get the skill sets for this? Either people have those skills or God is going to give them those skills. Okay. And we're probably going to find a combination of those. Mm. But let's begin by looking at the skills that they would have already had. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's consider then for a moment, who did they work for before they left Egypt? Well, the Egyptians. Yes. <laughs> and if you look at the Egyptians... The great thing about the Egyptians is that they live in a country that basically doesn't have rain mm. or humidity whatsoever at all. Uh, it's irrigated by the River Nile. Everybody lives near the River Nile where they can get access to water. Outside of that, uh, nobody lives. And so that has resulted in Egypt being probably the world's most perfect place for preserving things from antiquity. Mm-hmm. Because provided that it hasn't been affected by wind or it hasn't been affected by, you know, the flooding of the Nile, it's still going to be there, pretty much preserved as it was for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody's been to have you been to Egypt? No, I really want to go. Yes. <laughs> Egypt is amazing. It's like the whole country is like one vast outdoor museum. That's amazing. There are just artefacts everywhere. They're not particularly well preserved because I guess it's a developing country and they haven't spent a whole lot of money and they kind of don't need to because, well, what's going to happen to it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's made out of stone. Mm -hmm. It's not going anywhere. The stuff that has been well preserved you're going to find uh, is covered in gold and you're going to find that in the uh, Cairo Museum. Mm. And you go to the Cairo Museum, you're going to see more gold there than you've probably ever seen anywhere in your lifetime ever before. And what you're going to see is the incredibly high level of skill that the Egyptian slaves had. Hmm. And the Hebrews were Egyptian slaves. Yeah. And so, yeah, these were not uh, ignorant people by any stretch of the imagination. These were people who had phenomenal skills Mm. in being able to create incredibly beautiful things. And they've been doing it for their Egyptian masters for 400 years. Imagine what they're going to produce when they're let loose. And it's like, okay, this time, this is not for your slave masters. This is for your God. Mm. Who has been the one to free you. Yes. Mm. So they're going to, you know, they're going to put the their their best of their best of their best into this. Yeah. They're not going to hold back. They're going to, uh, you know, 
absolutely create something here phenomenally amazing uh, to look at and to experience. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. If you'd like to comment on the Bible study today, then we'd love to hear from you as well. So uh, shoot us a message. Um, or give us a call. Mm. We uh, we always we always appreciate what you've got to say. And uh, if um, you've got a question of the day, yes, yes, send that through. We would love to have your questions of the day come through. We've got a really interesting one came through today, but I can't remember what it is. It will uh, be reminded to me before we get there. <laughs> um, but it's always good to hear the questions that you guys have. Mm. Okay, so back into our Bible study, we were talking about the skills that the Israelites would have had. They would have now not all of them would have had these skills, but there would have been specialists amongst them mm. who had been working for the Egyptians, making some of the most incredible stuff that well the world has ever seen from the ancient world. Mm. These were not um, these were not cavemen that we're talking about. No. And these are actually a lot of the skills that they had we have completely lost in a lot of parts of the world today. Yes, you know? absolutely. There's um, many ancient skill sets and even metals and alloys mm. that have never been reproduced in the modern era. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, it is. All right, so you've got some highly skilled people here, and they're going to be building something this time not for themselves, but sorry, not for their uh, slave masters, but for themselves. And so they're going to put their 110% into it. Then on top of that, what you're going to find is that they are then filled with the spirit mm. to do the things to be the craftsmen that they are called to be. Yeah. And so that's going to be very special as well. So that's going to add another level of skill to what they actually produce. So this is interesting because, you know, it would be really quite amazing to be able to go back in time and to see the ancient Jewish temple Mm. and to see the furniture in it because uh, the impression I have is that there would be nothing in the ancient world that would equal it. It's interesting when the temple was finally destroyed by the Roman general Titus, that he commanded that the temple not be touched. Which is interesting, right? Absolutely. There was a reason for that. Don't touch the temple. Well, why don't touch the temple? Don't touch the temple because it was one of the wonders of the ancient world and he didn't want to see it destroyed. Mm. He recognised its value as you know, an artistic icon, if nothing else. Yeah. And then it was. Absolutely. Eventually was just completely destroyed. <laughs> completely destroyed until there wasn't one stone left standing on top of another. Mm. Which also needed to happen, though. Because Jesus said it would. Yeah. It was Jesus prophesied that that's what would happen. And, of course, what happened was when it when it uh, caught fire, of course, the temple was lined with cedar. Oh, yeah. And uh, the cedar was overlaid with gold. Mm-hmm. The cedar planks were overlaid with gold. And those planks were sitting in uh, top and bottom, bottom were held in place by sockets that were made out of silver. And so you can imagine you've got cedar there that's, what, four or 500 years old. Mm. It's going to be dry, it's going to be brittle, and it's going to be incredibly flammable. Mm. And so when the temple caught fire in a very, very short space of time, it just turned into one massive inferno. As a result of turning into a massive inferno, all of that gold melted mm. uh, and went down through the uh, the rocks that it was the stones that it was made out of. And to get the gold, they pulled the stones apart till there wasn't one left standing on top of another. Mm. 
every single one of them was thrown down so they could get the gold out. You know what? I really have nothing in my life to compare it to, but, you know, the Jews were very, um, very precious about their temple. Incredibly so. Like to the point where they were missing kind of the Messiah because of their temple, you know. Um, but you can kind of understand it on a human level when you look, when you think about what it would have been. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, particularly the one, particularly Herod's temple. Yeah. You know, that's an amazing thing that you'd be like, what are you talking about? We're not going to get rid of our temple. Why would we do that? Look at it. <laughs> have you been to Jerusalem? No, man. I haven't been to any of the Bible and it's killing me. I would love to go. You've been to Ireland. You were just talking about that a minute ago. Yes. Okay, what we generally talk about with being not Bible really lands. a Bible. Well, no. you know, it's a Ireland is a Revelation twelve land. If you're looking for it in the Bible, okay. Church in the Wilderness. Church yes, the wilderness. yes, yep. Yeah. I'm picking up what you put down. Yes. Saint Patrick was um, was not Roman Catholic. Yeah, neither was the Irish. Yeah, um, and yeah, we often you know make him the. The, the patron saint of Ireland, yeah. but uh, the, he, yeah, he the, wasn't. The, the Roman Catholic saint of Ireland. He was neither Roman Catholic nor Irish. Which is so interesting. He was British, mm. and of course, he was a missionary to Ireland, and he was a part of the Church in the Wilderness, mm. which was, you know, a church that was preaching the pure gospel that had been handed down to them from the disciples. Mm. So he was a he was a Sab- Patrick was a Sabbath keeper, yeah. amongst other things. I mean, we're Adventists, so we love to brag about stuff like that. Um. And there's some just incredible the history of Christianity in Ireland before the Catholic Church arrived yeah. is absolutely phenomenal. It's so exciting. Amazing history, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 While Europe was having its dark ages, they were kind of having almost their golden age. They were. Like. <laughs> they were, absolutely. Mm. And their dark ages, I'm going to get all my Catholic friends offside right now, but the dark ages didn't arrive until the Roman Catholic Church arrived. Yeah. Well, yeah, we see that in history, though, right? Uh, we we can't really debate that because no, it's, it, it's there's some pretty sod, sad and sorry history there, and there's yeah. a reason why John Paul II made his big apology in the year 2000. Mm. Uh, it's not because they deny it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. How yes. do we get onto this? I don't know. We got sidetracked. No, it's great. Oh, we're just talking about the temple. Oh, yeah, yeah we're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, the temple. Okay. And the gold and the For those of you who have not, if you have not been to, to Jerusalem and you go sometime once uh, COVID oh, gets <laughs> sorted. When, when that's an option again. <laughs> when that's an option again. Um, if that's an option again. Um, but, yeah, when that's an option again. One of the things that you can do is uh, one of the most interesting things is the Western Wall Tour. which is where you see the foundations of the Western Wall. You do the Western Wall tunnels. Just unbelievable, the stones that were used to build that temple. Mm. Uh, And really all you're looking at is the retaining wall. That's all you're looking at, just just the retaining wall. (laughs) But what you do see is the models there of the different temples that were built on that site. Right. So you start with Solomon's Temple, then you've got you know, Zerubbabel's temple, then you've got Herod's temple. And you look at Jerusalem today and the entire city is just completely dominated by um, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Mm. You know, every, every photo you see of Jerusalem is going to show that, 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 great, um, that great dome. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yet what you need to imagine is when you look out over Jerusalem and you see that, just phenomenal building that is there and how it dominates the skyline and imagine a temple that was three times higher than that in 
the ancient world mm. and built out of white marble. Would have been Wrap so your head around that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wrap your head around that. It is no wonder it became a bit of a distraction for the Jewish people. Yeah, and I mean, there are still people today who believe that the temple does need to be rebuilt. There are. You know, which is a really interesting tend to go down, which we won't go down, but it's still held in such high esteem of something of such importance. Yeah, it can be just as much of a distraction today from Jesus Christ as it was back then. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we need to uh, be very, very aware of. Mm. Okay, let's go back. Let's read some more verses here about the instructions that were given um, the point-by-point point instructions. Where did you get up to? Verse 22? Yes. Keep reading there. Okay, so verse 23. Then the, then make a table of acacia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay it with pure gold and run a gold moulding around the edge. Decorate it with a three-inch border all around and run a gold moulding along the border. Make four gold rings from why the is it? Why is it the Bible translators just assume that all Christians live in America? With their inches? Yeah, it's like the only country in the world that uses inches, and they put it in inches. They did. I, they could have at least I given jewel. You, <laughs> you know, put the inches in brackets and give us metric. That's what the world uses. I just had to have that complaint right there. <laughs> it's off my chest now. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Well, certainly positively different this morning. We've got things a little bit uh, back yeah, front, but that's all good. That's uh, okay. Keep reading for us about your inches. Man, there's so much gold, isn't there? So much um, gold. Oof. So attach the rings near the border to hold the poles that are used to carry the table. Make these poles from acacia wood and overlay them with more gold. Make special containers of pure gold for the table, bowls, pans, pitchers and jars to be used in pouring out liquid offerings. Place the bread of the presence on the table to remain before me at all times. Just quick side note, I was thinking about this. They're still travelling in the wilderness. Yes. This would have been so heavy for them to have this gold. Yes. Like, they when they left Egypt. They're nomads. Yeah. They, they took stuff. It wasn't just like chuck a bag the over Egyptians your shoulder. paid them to leave. Yeah, yeah. They were given so much abundance. And we know from archaeology that Egypt is a place that was not lacking in an abundance of gold. Mm. Yeah. All right, keep going, keep going. Okay, so verse 31, make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece. The base, centre stem, lamp cups, buds and petals. Make it with six branches going out from the centre stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches will have three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. Craft the centre stem of the lamp stand with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. There will also be an almond bud beneath each pair of branches where the six branches extend from the centre stem. This is one of those things that you kind of want a picture to have in your head because otherwise it just becomes words. It's not hard to have a picture in your head though because the menorah is a very uh, popular symbol of, um, you know, Israel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the almond buds. Uh, so then make the seven lamps for the lamp lampstand and set them so they reflect their light forward. The lamp snuffers and trays must also be made of pure gold. You will need 75 pounds. What's that, like? 40-something kilos? I'd like to know what that is in ounces. Oh, no, that's even worse. Because then you'd be able to be like, but if you have it in ounces, you know how much it's worth. Well, you would know how much it was worth. Well, Google Google would know. Oh, Google would know. Yeah, okay, okay. What do we have, 75 pounds? Pounds of pure gold for the lampstand and its accessories. It says, be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. 
which is a really interesting. Do you reckon this is a very decorative, beautiful piece? Was it symbolizing something or was it just beauty for the sake of the beauty of the sanctuary of the Lord? This is an interesting question. You know, we serve a God who appreciates beauty mm. and appreciates craftsmanship and appreciates uh, design and creativity. Mm. And so when God commissions the building of the temple, I mean, where, where did you get up to there? Verse 30 thereabouts? 40. Verse 40. What you've got there, just in the first 20 verses, there are 150 points. 150 details mm-hmm. as to how this is to be built. And I think what's happening here is that God is not saying, look, um, being a human is just about being entirely you know, utilitarian. Mm-hmm. There is a time and a place for craftsmanship. There is a time and a place for creativity. There is a time and a place for artwork. Um, there is a time and a place for um, you know, everything, all of the all of the fine work that is going into this because you are created in the image of God. God creates this kind of stuff and you as human beings are going to gain fulfillment out of creating it. Not only are you going to gain fulfillment out of creating, but you are also going to gain a um, well, a sense of the greatness of God. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've got text messages come here through here. The reason why they made acacia wood overlaid with gold is because if it was solid gold, it would have been too heavy to carry, uh, whereas a thin layer of gold covering the wood would have been lighter to carry in the desert. It's a very good point. Um, I would point out that the candlestick was made out of solid gold. Mm, some of these things were, yeah. And the mercy seat was also made out of solid gold. Mm. So a couple of these pieces of furniture would have been incredibly heavy to carry. Um, I think there's another point right there as well that's worth noting is that gold is not an incredibly strong metal. Mm. um, It tends to be quite pliable and so forth. And so um, to make something out of solid gold, you've got to have a fair bit of thickness to it. And... You know, acacia wood, making it out of acacia wood. Well, if you go back to, uh, if you go through the Cairo Museum, you're going to find that there's a tremendous amount of, you know, acacia wood and other kinds of timbers that they've used to make stuff and then overlaid it with gold leaf. Yeah. That was, um, so this was something that was very common. This was something they were well practiced at doing. And of course, there's an economic aspect to it. Mm. You know, gold is expensive stuff. And one of the unique things about gold is that you can beat it with a hammer, and it will just get thinner and thinner and thinner. It won't break. Mm, amazing. And so you can turn it into, you know, you can turn it into gold leaf or gold like paper, mm. which is just unbelievably thin and fragile. I've got a friend who works in gold leaf, and uh, it's just like microns. Mm. You know, so incredibly thin. And the other thing with gold, of course, you can do gold wash. You can. There's so many different things you can do with gold. It's incredible. Uh, there's a reason why it is so valuable. Mm, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I can't find out how much 75 pounds worth of gold is uh, worth. Uh, da, 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 da. But if somebody can find it out for me, there's a bunch <laughs> of gold price calculators here coming up on Google and they're all in ounces. If somebody's got the time to figure that out, that would be fantastic to, mm, uh, to have. It's worth. Yeah. But this, you know, all of this really is going to take a lot of work to do. Yes. Sorry, this isn't just a thing that you just kind of rock up and be like, oh, yeah, we'll just kind of have a play around and see what we come up with. No, no, this is very specific and detailed 
Um, you know, God says that this is it's a pattern that God has shown him, which it's going to be made based off. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, it is. And uh, oh, there's a whole um, there's a whole other chapter here. Where is it? Over in uh, in verse thirty eight. What I find interesting is that the Bible says that the foreman of the job, mm-hmm. a man by the name of Bezalel, he was given the gift of his art. Work. Yes. yes. So he was an artisan to begin with, yes. but he was filled with the Holy Spirit yes. to be a craftsman. Yeah. And I see that as being very, very significant because we often don't see, we often don't consider artisans and craftsmen and so forth, uh, tradies, mm-hmm. to that to be a job that requires being filled with the Spirit. Mm. But we would look at somebody who's in ministry and we'd say, well, that requires somebody to be filled with the Spirit. It's a shame that we uh, don't it is. allow in our minds for that being a possibility. Because some people come to me at times and they're like, oh, you know, you must be proud of your son, following in your footsteps, um, you know, full-time ministry and so forth. And I'm like, I'm proud of both my sons. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they're both in full-time ministry. Uh-huh. Praise God. 100%. Praise yeah. God. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them is a pastor and the other is a panel beater. Mm-hmm. And they're both in full-time ministry. Fully. Uh, and, you know, my son who's a panel beater, one of his friends came to church the other day. Nice. Not one of his workmates. Yeah. And uh, Just a totally different field, really, Yeah. of interaction. That's right. And he will reach people that my other son, who is a pastor, will never reach. Yeah. Fully. And vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And so we should never, ever, you know, look down on these different uh, callings as being anything other than a calling by God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We should talk about things of value. We have uh, Christopher out there. It's nice to have a brains trust uh, doing some research for us while we're on air. Uh, The gold that went into the construction of the seven-branch candlestick, uh, what did we say it was, 75 pounds? Yes. uh, Would be worth about $2.25 million today. Just for the candlestick. That's today. Oy. Not yesterday, but today. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so somebody out there been doing some quick calculations for us. Do appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, so about $2.25 million. That's an expensive candlestick. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's have – what is our question of the day? It's, it's time for – Question of the day. Okay, today's question, it's actually of a part two of our question yesterday, which was of who are the two witnesses in Revelation that we started talking about yesterday. Okay. Yeah, part two. Who are the two witnesses? Mm. All right, so I'm going to go back, and and a lot of people are asking, well, what about Moses and Elijah? We're going to look at the reasons why they ask that. Um, We're going to point out that they are not Moses and Elijah because the two witnesses are killed and Moses and Elijah, the Bible says, have received glorified bodies. They appeared with with Jesus in glory. They are in heaven and therefore immortal and not subject to death. Mm. So it cannot be Moses and Elijah. But it is certainly related to Moses and Elijah. Let's read why. If you go to Revelation chapter 11, the Bible says, uh, if anyone hurts them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And it was, of course, uh, Elijah who brought fire down from heaven and destroyed his enemies when he was uh, trying to be arrested by uh, the king's soldiers. It continues on, and if anyone will hurt them, he must be in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heavens so that it does not rain in the days of their prophecy. Mm. Elijah did that. 
through the power of God, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Well, Moses did that by the power of God. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, shall overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, and where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. If you go to, if you take a day for a year, uh, the drought that, came in the time of Elijah, was three and a half years long. So mm-hmm. there's another very interesting uh, parallel there. Okay, so we noted yesterday that if you look at the four symbols that are given for what the two witnesses actually are, and uh, if we consider that for a moment, the four symbols are that uh, they are candlesticks, they are witnesses, they are prophets, and they are olive trees. And what the Bible says, what all four of those symbols have in common is the Word of God, the Bible, the gospel message. Mm. So candlesticks, your word is a lamp under my feet. Witnesses, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as for a witness. Uh, prophets, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. The Bible is called the writings of the prophets. Uh, the olive trees, the two olive trees from Zechariah 4 verse 6, what are these, is asked. He answers and says, this is the word of the Lord. Mm. And so, of course, the Bible comes to us in two witnesses, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. However, people often look past what the Bible says that the two witnesses are and focus on what they do, and because they focus on what they do rather than what they are, they conclude that, well, it must be Moses and Elijah because Moses and Elijah did all of those things. Right. That's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. It's not Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah are immortal. They cannot die. And so we know that it's not Moses and Elijah. So why does the Bible reference all of the things that Moses and Elijah do? The answer is because there's a relationship between them. And that relationship is found right there in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Moses, who brings the plagues, so he's a symbol of you know those who bring the plagues, and the prophets. Elijah is a symbol of the prophets. Moses and Elijah are symbolic of the Word of God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.